And it's Encounter with God. You're here with Mon and Lyle on Faith FM. Mon, give us another clue for our quiz this morning. Clue number four for who am I? I was the champion of the Philistines. Ooh, who was this Palestinian? Or Philistinian? It's a Palestinian. There's no A. No, it's a Palestinian. Same word. Philistines Mm -hmm. and Palestinians. Mm -hmm. It's not the same word. Same thing. You're a bit of a Philistine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Give dear, us a call dear, if you dear. know who that is. Yes. Probably, probably, I would say arguably one of the most famous. If you're a Palestinian ever. and uh, you've got some heritage that goes back to um, maybe this particular individual, give us a, give yeah, us a call. Yeah, maybe you're related. Maybe you're really maybe tall. Maybe you come from Gaza. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. Anyway, one eight hundred faith is the number. That's right. That is the number. Are you are you are you kind of disbelieving me there, Mon? Yeah, a little, I mean a little bit. You sound I like mean, you're kind of disbelieving. <laughs> Unbelievable. Look it up. Wikipedia is your friend. Palestinians and Philistines are the same thing. You know, I could edit that Wikipedia page so it doesn't say that they're related, and then you would be able to have yeah, to say whatever. whatever. Ask friend. a Palestinian. Uh, about their history and where they come from and who they are, and there you'll have your answer. Okay, so uh, we need to get on to our Bible study for today. And, uh, of course, I know this because I have some Palestinian friends. You know that we're heading on to the Bible study because you have some Palestinian friends. (laughs) 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 Disjointed much, Lyle. (laughs) Matthew chapter 12. Let's let's just dig into it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. Let's go there. What are we studying today? We're, t- we're continuing to talk about the Sabbath. And oh, yesterday okay, nice. we talked about the Sabbath as being a day of freedom and equality. A day of rest, a public holiday that God gives to us once a week and that we somehow argue and fight against. Matthew chapter 12. In fact, in fact, this t- today's Bible study um, highlights some of the objections that people have thrown up at me against the Sabbath. Once again, it's like, why? Why on earth are people against the Sabbath? What do they it have is, a problem? It is a little bit ludicrous, it's isn't just, it? It's just the most weirdest thing. But anyway, they're like, oh, no, 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 we don't need to keep the Sabbath. What do you mean we don't need to keep the Sabbath? We you want d- you don't Sabbath. want to keep the Sabbath? Is that what you're saying? You don't want to do this? You don't want a holiday? Yeah. What is wrong with you? Oh, dearie, dearie, dearie. It's like, no, we don't need to keep the Sabbath because Jesus broke the Sabbath. Did he? Yeah. What? Absolutely. Scandal. And if Jesus broke the Sabbath, then he set us an example of Sabbath breaking, right? Yeah. So then we don't need to keep the Sabbath. I'm very concerned right now. Okay, all right. Let's, where uh, is, where actually, is right, why, don't, why don't you start for us in Matthew 12, verse 1 and 2. Okay. About that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some of the heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Ah, there you go, Mon. That is so pathetic. The Bible says that Jesus broke the Sabbath, and because the Bible says that Jesus broke the Sabbath, then Jesus was a Sabbath breaker, and we can be Sabbath breakers too, right? Do you know what these Pharisees are in modern day language? These Pharisees are drama queens, and they are right here looking for drama. They are drama llamas. They're looking for drama. 
These guys aren't breaking the Sabbath. They're not harvesting. They're not out there with a combine harvester, like, plowing down some rows. They're just, like, having lunch. Why, you're not allowed to pick up the sandwich off your plate because that's suddenly harvesting sandwiches from plates? Like, it's stupid. They're being drama queens. All right, they're being drama queens. We agree with that. And this is something that I've pointed out on a number of occasions when people have come to me like, oh, you know, the Bible says that Jesus was a Sabbath breaker. I'm like, yes, it does say that in the Bible. I agree with you. The Bible says those words. And when the Bible says those words, guess who it was quoting? It was quoting the Pharisees. (laughs) So if you agree that Jesus was a Sabbath breaker, then whose side are you on? Mm. Jesus' side or the Pharisees' side? Because it sounds to me like you're on the Pharisee side. The thing is, you could, like if you if you take this sort of point of view, you could <coughs> excuse me, you could argue this to the point where the only thing you're allowed to do on the Sabbath is be a vegetable and lie there, and even so much as raising your hand to scratch your nose is an a, a act of working. Yeah, you do have to wonder um, who it is that gets to define what is work and what is not work. Yeah, yeah. On the Sabbath day, it's suddenly like walking. You know, walking across the room to go get your clothes out of the cupboard is at work. Like you and can, you can, you can cut this down and cut it down and cut it down until it's absolutely ridiculous. When you read the Sabbath commandment, it is very simple. Yeah, there are. It is the longest of the commandments, but it's still very, very simple, and it really brings across very, very clearly uh, the basic principles of Sabbath keeping. Then there are a number of other passages that add to that. Mm-hmm. that help us to understand what it is that God is asking us to do on the Sabbath day. So, for instance, the Sabbath commandment itself says that the Sabbath is a day of rest. Amen. Uh, if you go to Leviticus 23, verse uh, 3, the Bible says that the Sabbath is a day of gathering together for worship. Okay, so it's a day of rest and worship now. So we've got a, a couple of things that have been added into it. The Bible does not say that the the Sabbath day is a day for fasting. It doesn't say that the Sabbath day is a day for sleeping. It doesn't say that the Sabbath is a day for doing nothing. No, the Bible says that it's a day for doing things, but for resting from our daily work. So to start with, when it comes to Sabbath keeping, the Sabbath is a day in which we do not engage in our employment, whatever that might be. Uh, (coughs) We also read in Nehemiah, Yesterday, how that Nehemiah, when he brought reform to the nation of Judah, one of the things that he changed was he did away with the practice of commercial enterprise on the Sabbath day, mm-hmm. buying and selling. The Sabbath day is not a day to go shopping. Yeah, no. It's a day of worship. Yeah. It's not a day to go on down to the you know service New South Wales, whatever it might be, and pay your bills or you know get your. Uh, um, inspection done on your car, or you know whatever else it might be, is not that's not what the Sabbath is about. Because even though you might say to yourself, "Oh, but that's not my regular employment," you have to realize that by doing those things, you're causing someone else to be in a position of regular employment. Well, there are going to always be some some areas in which we, you know, cause some some people to be in regular mm-hmm. um, employment. I don't know that that can be entirely, you know, because just by driving out on the road and driving to church, then you're causing the police officer to be in his regular employment. Right. By making sure that you're but not you speeding because yeah. you're running late for church. Yeah, but you can choose you've to got not the, go get your car registered on the Sabbath. That's right. Yeah, and you don't have to Absolutely. go shopping on the Sabbath. You don't have to cause yes. the checkout to, to be There are Woolies. things you don't have to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so, you know, there are um, – there's, there's, it's the Sabbath is simply a day of looking at it and saying, okay, what can I do to minimize – um, the amount of secular things I have to do and uh, the amount of secular things other people have to do. 
It's not a, it's not a, a day of just eliminate everything because you will never stop uh, eliminating things. You know, if you are, you know, you, it's just like where do you stop? Yeah. And this is the problem because you know after the time of Nehemiah, the Jews decided, you know what, Nehemiah's right. We went into Babylonian captivity because we turned away from God. And God has rescued us from Babylonian captivity, and now we've slacked off again already. And Nehemiah's had to step in and sort this out. So let's make sure that this never happens again. It so reminds me of when the Israelites just came out of captivity in Egypt and started worshipping a golden calf. Yeah, but instead of flipping to the left this time, they flipped to the right. Mm -hmm. And they went extreme. And so then they made, okay, let's make a list of rules of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath day. Okay, you can't walk more than a certain distance. You can't carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath day because that's work. So if you've got a, if you, if you've got a cold, you need to pin it to your shoulder oh, so you can still use it. If it's pinned on, that's not work. You pin it on on Friday before the Sabbath starts. You're not allowed to spit on the ground because by doing so you are watering the grass and therefore you are involved in agri- agricultural endeavor. Oh, my word. I'm dead serious. I am dead serious. These were the laws. There were 600-odd of these laws that came into place, and these were the laws of the Pharisees. And these were the laws that the Pharisees lived by. And this is what the laws that you know Jesus was breaking here in this particular situation when he uh, was walking through the, 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 uh, the fields field. of grain and his disciples plucked off a few heads of grain, you know, probably rolled them between their hands, and um, I had a bit of a nibble. And they were so scandalized. Oh, it's just terrible. Absolutely. What is interesting in the New Testament is that Jesus actually makes a point of breaking the pharisaical rules of the Sabbath. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And it's fascinating how he does this and the discussions that it creates. You see, the Bible says that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's read that. Uh, Hold your finger there, Mon. Go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 and uh, verse 27 and 28, please. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. I love the way it puts it that there. Yeah. The Sabbath was made to be a blessing for us, not mm-hmm. for us to be a blessing to the Sabbath. Right. It doesn't need a blessing. God already gave it one. Yeah, that's right. you know, how are we going to give the Sabbath any kind of a blessing? It's there to provide for us. And then it goes on to say, it says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I'm the one who created it. I'm the boss. I'm the one who gets to say how it should be kept and how it shouldn't be kept. Simple as that. Uh, and so Jesus makes a point of um, breaking the pharisaical rules in relationship to the Sabbath day. In fact, in the New Testament, when you look at the discussions that Jesus had with the Pharisees, you find nine times in the book of Matthew, ten times in the book of Mark, seven time, 17 times in the book of Luke, and nine times in the book of John. He has a discussion with the Pharisees. That's a lot of times. He's having a lot of discussion with the Pharisees on the issue of how to keep the Sabbath. I feel like he's just constantly trying to teach them that the Sabbath is about it's the relationship blessing. and not about keeping rules. Yeah, 
it's, yeah. it's there to be a blessing. And uh, when, when you look at when you look at all of these discussions, this is the primary topic of discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees. They discuss this subject more than any other by a very wide margin. What is interesting about that is that in all of those discussions, it is always all about how to keep the Sabbath. It is never about Jesus coming along and saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, I'm the one who created it, and I'm doing away with it. He spends all of this time teaching them how to keep the Sabbath. And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 24, he tells us to keep the Sabbath right down to the end. He commands us to keep the Sabbath right down through to the end of time until he returns. And so when you look at all of these passages here and everything that Jesus says about the Sabbath, you know, if Jesus was about to you know, die on the cross and do away with the Sabbath, why would he bother? You know, be a little bit like, you know, in a little bit of time, this is going to be a non-issue, so why bother? I'm just going to do away with the Sabbath. Yeah. I'm just going yeah. to replace it with Sunday or Thank just replace it with just, you know, bring it back to one day and seven or whatever it might be. Um, why, why even have this discussion? But that's not what happens. All right, so we've got all this discussion. Let's look at some of the uh, things that Jesus does on the Sabbath day. Matthew chapter 12. And Mon, if you could read for us uh, verse 9 to 13, please. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the Lord permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Ooh, they've, they've backed him into a corner here, haven't they? Yeah, they were trying. They are trying to. In fact, it is every likelihood that they knew that Jesus being a healer, this is the weird thing, okay, Jesus is a healer. He speaks and people are healed, right? Yep. That, that's pretty good evidence that he's God. Mm-hmm. Pretty good evidence that he's actually the one in charge of the Sabbath. And yet they want to try and condemn him. Yeah, they're going to try and trap him on the issue yeah. of the Sabbath. And they're like, aha, we got you. We're humans. We're smarter than you. Yeah. They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored, just like the other one. Okay, and this is an area where some people, I think, um, even today can become very petty. Mm. Because when I say, hey, I'm a Sabbath keeper, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, they will, they, they will often raise this objection of like, uh, well, you know, Sabbath keeping is ridiculous because if everybody kept the Sabbath, then um, the world would become a disaster zone because, you know, what about all the doctors and nurses and medical professionals and emergency services and so forth that need to work on the Sabbath day? Therefore, it's ridiculous to keep the Sabbath day and God has made a ridiculous commandment and you're ridiculous for keeping it. And therefore, just accept grace and be happy and smile, and uh, you don't need to do anything to honor God. Mm. Don't don't worry about what God says. There goes the baby with the bathwater. <laughs> yeah, the baby with the bathwater right there. You know, it's like, guys, seriously, it frustrates me. I'm sorry, it does just frustrate me a little bit because you know people bring up these objections that are just so. A little bit ridiculous. It's even the fact that they're trying to find objections to have this holiday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like, what are you thinking? But anyway, um, if you've got some thoughts on this, I'd love to hear from you. 1-800-324-843 is our number. We would, we would love to hear what you've got to say on this particular subject. Uh, but what you've got here is Jesus says it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath day. Amen. 
So if you're a nurse or if you're a doctor or if you're a uh, you know, emergency services, whatever it might be, please don't not work on the Sabbath day. Yeah. Please follow the example of Jesus. Yeah. Particularly if I'm in a hospital. I don't really want to sit there by myself all day and be wondering whether I'm in good shape or bad shape or otherwise. I thought you were about to drop off the perch. <laughs> or or drop off the perch. Yeah, no, let's uh, add some balance to this. Mon, keep reading for us there. Verse 14. Uh, then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Ah, so, so crazy. Jesus speaks a word and a man is instantly healed. It's like, oops, we better kill him. Isn't That's a good just, reason to kill yeah. someone, isn't it? It's just where pettiness has gone like really, really wrong. Yeah, it's quite bizarre. Anyway, uh, let's look at another example. Uh, we were actually... Let's go to Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. And you, know, you come back to... Um, if you want to know how to keep the Sabbath, there is one overarching principle. Okay. And it's the principle of worship. The Sabbath is all about a day of worship. And so if you're asking, well, should I do this on the Sabbath or should I do that on the Sabbath? Is this lawful on the Sabbath or is that lawful on the Sabbath? You're probably kind of approaching it the wrong way, but you simply ask yourself this simple question. Is this conducive to an atmosphere of worship? Now, when I do things during the week, say, for instance, fixing my car, it is not an, a conducive to an attitude of worship. Mm. It's often conducive to an attitude of frustration. (laughs) So I'm not going to fix my car on a Sabbath day. You know, that's not going to be something that's going to be drawing me closer to God. Yeah. But people have all kinds of interesting discussions about, oh, yeah, should we do this or should we do that or should we do the other on the Sabbath day? And uh, I believe that we just simply, you know, look at it and, and, and apply the principle of do whatever is the most conducive to an atmosphere of worship and obviously there are going to be a bunch of those things that are necessary uh, to be conducive to an atmosphere of worship. Yeah, I mean... Not just for myself, but also for others. Right. So, like, you know, I personally wouldn't really do any housework. I'm not going to, like, crack out the laundry and do my laundry on the Sabbath because to me it's housework. I don't want to... Yeah, do that. It's not conducive to the worship. Like, I don't want to do that on the Sabbath. Yeah. I can do that, you know, Sunday or Friday. Um, it's a great excuse not to... Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I am going to, you know, make a sandwich on the Sabbath because... We need Sitting around hungry all day is yeah. not conducive to worship. Yeah, it's going to be, going to be all you're going to be thinking about is <laughs> chocolate and chips. <laughs> and you'll help somebody out if, out if they're unwell because being unwell is not conducive to their worship. That's right, that's right. And you might jump in a bus and do a little bit of a bus run and pick up a bunch of people to take them to church because it's conducive to their worship. Mm-hmm, that's right. Not so much for yours, but for theirs. Yeah, but Jesus served on the Sabbath and so can we. That's right. And mm-hmm. so you simply ask, is this conducive to the worship of others? Is it conducive to... Uh, my experience of worship. And there's your principle right there. I like that. It's yeah. Nice. Okay, apply that to everything you do and you will really experience the blessing of the Sabbath day. Let's go to Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, please, Mon. 1 to 6 says, Jesus went into the synagogue again. Well, that's the same story. We already read this story. Yeah, I was just wondering. It yeah. also ends with them plotting to kill him. Okay, same story, just Mark's account of the same mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back to, let me see here, uh, verse 21, uh, chapter 2, verse 21. Of Mark? Yeah, well, I actually probably come back and, and read this one in just a moment. Uh, 
because this is the one that leads into where Jesus says, hey, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It belongs to me. Um, I'm the one who's in charge of it, and I'm the one who gets to say how it is kept. God took six days and created Earth and moon and stars and sun On the seventh day He rested From the work that He had done Then He blessed it, made it holy As a gift for every man To remind us where we came from just how this world began Holy day, purified Set apart, sanctified Enter into joy divine In a temple made of time See Him worship on the Sabbath As His weekly of the rabbis for he would not heed their laws so they killed him on a hillside as the sun began to fade but he then kept the sabbath as they laid him in the grave holy Forsaken and forgotten, desecrated and profane. But the sacred fourth commandment is still valid and unchanged. Hear the Father gently calling, If you love me, keep each one, not for merit or salvation. You love my son Holy day Purified Set apart Sanctified Enter into Joy divine In a temple Made of time You will find Joy divine In this temple That was Matt and Josie Minicus with Temple of Time. And that's a great way of describing the Sabbath as well. Amen. The Temple of Time. Amen. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, we're going to skip this story. We were going to read this one. I'm going to skip it. There's a better one. This is an awesome story in John chapter 9. Ooh, okay. Gospel of John chapter 9. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And uh, it just uh, it highlights the perversity of human nature. And as you re- read and hear this story, what I want you to think about is this. We sit back and say, we would not be that perverse. But are we really? Mm. Is our human nature really that much different from the Pharisees? That's the thing. Because uh, these stories in the Bible, they're often stories about us. 
Gospel of John, chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and no, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the man, blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Silohim, uh, which means scent. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, No, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, Yes, I am the same one. They asked, Who healed you? What happened? He told them, The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam and wash myself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now? they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Uh-oh. Ooh-ooh. The Pharisees- so, so don't worry about whether an amazing mm-hmm. miracle yeah. has been done or not. But it's what like, on the Sabbath? Let's dob this guy in. So silly. So uh, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes and when I washed it away I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such a miraculous sign? So there were deep division in opinion among them. Yeah, and I think some of them were using a little bit of logic right here. That's right. Okay, keep going. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? The parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how it is he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. And a very uh, wise and slightly, it sounds slightly frustrated answer by the parents because the parents, you know, it almost seems like they're like, you guys are being idiots about yeah. this. I think Get it together. Scared, yeah. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough and ask him. So for the second time, they called him the man who'd been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. 
If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. There you go. What a story. Wow. You can really see towards the end of this story how, uh-huh. you know, the man who was uh, healed, he, he kind of loses it with him, doesn't he? The accusations are whole horrible. You're born a total sinner. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he certainly does. He, um, you know, he, he looks at this whole situation and he's like, you Pharisees are just, you, you've really lost it here. You, know, you keep asking me the same questions over and over and over and over again. And the fact is, I was blind and now I can see. I'm super happy and super excited about it. This you've is the greatest day the of my life. You've missed the point. Yeah. And uh, I think he reaches the point where he doesn't care whether they throw him out of the synagogue. Yeah. I wouldn't care either. If I was, if I had been born blind, I could suddenly see. Oh, if I had to choose between being blind in the synagogue or being able to see and not be in the synagogue, you better believe I'm never setting foot in the synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> I think we probably underestimate a little bit of the culture of the day and what it actually meant to be thrown out of the synagogue in those days. It's like the same as being excommunicated and having, yeah. yeah, and and a lot of people for them that was really really terrifying thing because that meant that they had basically been expelled from the Jewish nation. They'd been cut off from their family. They'd been excluded from everyone and everything. Their entire social network. Uh, would come crumbling down. Their identity was being torn out from underneath of them. And so, yes, there was a um, a reticence by people to, you know, the threat of being thrown out of the synagogue was a very real threat. And a lot of people would, you know, go along with the forms of religion, maintain the forms of religion, even when they weren't believers, because they were afraid of that threat. Um, and, and this was one of the reasons why, you know, the, the, the guy, he doesn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue, but he does reach the point where he's like, this is ridiculous. Mm. This is just this is this is beyond stupidity. Probably because his life in the synagogue isn't that great. He's obviously a beggar who sits on the wayside. He's realised that he can now make something more of his life than he ever could, even in within the synagogue, with even within the identity that the synagogue um, provides. Yeah, and it's interesting is the, the the response of his parents. They don't want to answer the question. Mm. They know the answer to the question. They don't want to say a thing because they're afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue. So they um they dump it on their son. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, you can take the heat for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're You're the too one afraid. born blind. <laughs> You're the one that got healed. You went and got yourself healed, so you dig yourself out of this hole. We, uh, we didn't get into this hole. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I guess the reality is that for the guy who was born blind, you know, he didn't even know what Jesus looked like. That's right. So where, where do you go looking? But the Bible continues on here with the story. Jesus doesn't leave him um, in this particular situation. Verse 35 um, please. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But if you remain guilty, then you claim, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. That's a very important point here that Jesus brings out. And Jesus does this, it's interesting, in front of a number of the Pharisees. One has to wonder whether these were the same Pharisees that had excommunicated uh, this particular individual from the synagogue. Mm. There's a slight difference in your translation of verse 35 compared to mine. What is yours Because saying? yours says, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Mm-hmm. Mine says the Son of God. And that's important when you come across to um, verse 38 where it says, And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And so because of what had taken place, this person recognized divinity in Jesus Christ and chose to worship Jesus Christ and to follow Jesus as his example in all things. And we can do nothing better today than to follow uh, the example of Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth, the Son of Man who was also the Son of God and lived his life for us here on this earth. He was just a carpenter by trade He learned from his father at a very early age There was something special in the man There was much more to his life Than just working with his hands And he'd say There's no home I could desire That would match the one you'd find When you leave this world behind If you'll only take the time To love your neighbor like your brother Treat your brother like a friend Always turn the other cheek Help the weary and the weak Make the time for young and old as your life unfolds, each kindness that you've shown Will be the nails and hammers as you build your final ladder In the manner of the carpenter Passion in his eye, but only fools that hurt him did not realize that he was speaking to us all. Righteous and the mighty, silent and small, you'd say. There's no home I could design that wouldn't match the one you'll find when you leave this world behind. If you'll only take the time To love your neighbor like your brother Treat your brother like a friend Always turn the other cheek Help the weary and the weak Make the time for young and old And as your life unfolds Each kindness that you've shown We'll be the nails and hammers as you build your final ladder in the manner of the carpenter of old. Just a carpenter by trade He learned from his father At a very early age
How's it going, everyone? This is Mon and Lyle from The Breakfast Show. Hey, Lyle. Mm? Got a question for you. Yeah. Is God for real? That's a really good question. In fact, it is such a good question that ex-atheist, devout atheist Peter Watts is doing an entire series of presentations on that very subject, answering some of life's deepest questions. Are you serious? Can I go to this? You certainly can. It starts this Friday night, the 19th of July at 7pm and runs every Friday, Saturday and Tuesday night. Do I have to pay? Where can I get a ticket? It's for free. Simply call 0488. 588955 While I will see you there Happy Hearts is a free community craft program for kids aged 1 to 5 designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9.30 till 11am at the Senior Citizens Hall 401 Warburton Highway Wandon North for more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts. Free fun for kids and the mess stays with us. <laughs> Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Rock of ages, clear for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin.
back that was uh the norton hall band with rocket vages here on faith fm we have come to question of the day time the quiz is still out there give us a call 1-800-324-843 because this question is going to be a super easy one okay the this next clue i should say the next clue is pretty easy okay this is the final clue david killed me with a stone and then cut off my head a stone or a pebble or a little rock out of a slingshot this guy was Pretty tall, so I don't think it would have been that hard to miss, to be honest. Okay, so who was this uh, particular Giant individual kind of dude <laughs> that we are talking about right here? Give us Monst- a call. Just uh, dribbling clues left, right, and centre. One eight hundred Faith FM is the number. One eight hundred three two four eight four three. Uh, or you can text your answer zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. If you get it right, of course, we will send you a very lovely prize. Lyle, it has come time for question of the day. Uh, this is an excellent question, Lyle, mm-hmm. and it's been asked by one of my listeners yesterday. Do humans ever go to heaven? This is a very good question. Um, you have some people who will say that no human beings will ever enter heaven. You have uh, others who will say that only 144,000 humans will ever go to heaven. Everybody else stays on earth. Then you will have others who will say that all of the righteous will go to heaven. Uh, so the question is, do humans ever end up in heaven? And we're going to look at what the Bible says on this subject because the Bible is what has the answer. And so we're going to start in um, let's start in Matthew chapter eight. Let's read this one. So this is Matthew chapter eight and verse eleven. Um, and this one is in particular in relationship to those who believe only the hundred and forty-four thousand go to heaven. Um, Matthew chapter eight and verse eleven. Um, it says this when the that's chapter 9, this is the wrong thing. Uh, here we go, here we go, here we go. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And so the Bible says that, yes, there will be much more than just 144,000 in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, if you go to Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19, I'll just read this one for you very, very quickly. Um, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1 after these things I heard a great voice of much people in other words a huge congregation of people in heaven people in heaven lots of them that's what the Bible says saying Alleluia salvation glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God and really this comes back to a promise that Jesus made to his disciples in the Gospel of John, you go to John chapter 13 and Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's going to go back to heaven and he is looking for a nice way to break the news to his disciples. And in verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will look for me. 
and you will seek look for me. And as I said to the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. And so he's like, I'm going away. Really, really sorry about that, but I am going away, and you can't come. And of course, Peter being the one who always wants to be there, Peter said to him, Lord, where, do you, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Once again, this is a promise to Peter that you are going to go to heaven where I am at some point in the future. This is not just 144,000. This is the disciples of Jesus. He continues on, let your not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, that's heaven, are many mansions, and if it was not so, I would have told you. I go, that's to heaven, to prepare a place for you, that's in heaven. And if I go to heaven, I'm adding that in, and prepare a place for you in heaven, I will come again to this earth and receive you unto myself that where I am in heaven, there you may be also. And so we have here a very, very clear passage where Jesus gives the promise, one of the greatest promises of the Bible, that he's coming back to this earth to take us to heaven to be with him. Thank you so much, Lyle. If you have a question, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM is the number. It's 1-800-324-843. We love answering all your questions and we'd be delighted to answer. Uh, Anyone that you have live on air, uh, give us a call now. How deep, how wide The precious love of Jesus is for you For me, there'll always be enough No sin, no shame No stone could ever separate us from The one who gave his life for us I may not the mystery, the measure of your plan, but I will give my all. Yes, I.
You're listening to Philippa Hanna and Abby Eaton with Now to Jesus. And now we have come to the end of our show, so now we are going to give you something away that is all about Jesus. What have you got there? It's called, <laughs> I like how you're like, it's all about Jesus, don't even know what it is. It's called The Miracle of the Seventh Day Ox. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, the thing is, everything in our prize box is all about yeah, Jesus. Jesus. That's and true. this is an awesome story right here. This is written by Bradley Booth, uh, who is a teacher. He's taught in uh, Adventist schools across the US, uh, across Africa and Russia. Um, so he's an excellent storyteller. And it's all about um, Nikolai Panchuk, who was a pastor living in communist Russia, who was struggling as a prisoner of the KGB to find his the purpose. USSR, for That's those right. who remember what that mm-hmm. was. Back in the USSR. And uh, so he was persecuted for his Christian faith. He, he was in a Siberian camp for 10 years, refusing to sacrifice his faith. Um, and so this is an incredible story, that journey, and how he found hope in an unlikely source, an old ox named Maxim. Okay, Maxim the Ox, if you'd mm-hmm. like to know about Maxim the Ox. And together they, they performed a weekly miracle that was a massive witness for Christ in the most disparaging of circumstances, and they won souls together, one man and his ox. Give us a call. Get a copy right now. The Miracle of the Th- Seventh-Day Ox. We've been, talking, we've been talking at length about the Sabbath the last few days, and this book also covers the Sabbath, and uh, which gives you a clue as to what's happening with the Seventh-Day Ox. Uh, but our number here is 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. We only have one copy of this, and the first person to pull through will get uh, this last one. Okay, Miracle of the Seventh-Day Ox, 1-800-324-843. Be the first caller through, and that book is yours. And, of course, we always love your company every morning. We look forward to joining you again tomorrow morning for The Breakfast Show. Dear me, this is a letter to the girl I used to be. Dear me, there are some things that you should know. It's not my intention to embarrass or to shame you. What's inside the rearview mirror? Is closer than it appears We do the best that we know how With what we have been given And the difference between you and I Is I've been given time In time You'll see
Jesus. <laughs> 